the Sunday Sermons Podcast. As we remembered last week in the first of this new series that we're starting out called We Are Game Changers, or it's just called Game Changers, actually. In the first part of Game Changers, we remember that Jesus never just calls us to be better. Of course, he wants you to get better at things. Of course, he wants you to be better than you used to be the day before every day. He wants us to grow. But that's not his dream. It's just that we get a little bit better. That whatever our culture says a good person is, we just get a little bit better than that. That was never Jesus' dream. He wanted to completely transform us. He had a completely different way of life, a completely different perspective on everything. He was a game changer, and as his followers, we have got to be game changers or we are missing the whole point. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, we looked at this last week. I'd like you to read this out loud with me. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We've got to. We've got to embrace this identity that we are here to make changes. And that means we are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. We're not just getting together to have fun or to fellowship or create some sort of a nostalgic environment that reminds us of something great when we were kids and felt safe back then. That We're not doing any of those things. We are here to be transformed into the likeness of the living Christ. And we also are here to constantly be authentically and actively trying to engage our community. And all of that takes a lot of in-the-moment work. All of that takes a lot of adaptation, a lot of innovation. It, it, it includes a lot of trial, a lot of error, as well as some successes. It means constantly refusing to compromise about what we know is always God's will, but constantly trying to get better at actually accomplishing it. I'd like you to read this next verse again. We read this last time as well. Read this out loud with me as well. Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And once again, as we remember last time, the scriptures doesn't, don't usually, they very, very rarely separate things the way that we like to separate them. We want to know, well, are we saved? And then if we are saved, what else? We like to put things in little boxes. To Jesus, he rarely does anything like that. It's all one process. The whole process of him reaching out to us, of us repenting, of us being baptized, as of getting the Holy Spirit to indwell in us and living the rest of our lives following Jesus actively and bringing more people to him constantly. That's all one big seamless thing to him. He doesn't separate all that stuff out like we try to do. To Jesus, we are his creations and he created us to be part of the recreation that he's doing on this planet. This has got to be the foundation. This has got to be the paradigm, the perspective, the way that we look at what we do here, or we're missing the point. 
I shared last week, we've been part of something called the Three Rivers Collaborative for several months now. This is a team of several different churches. There's 13 of us. And Johnson University and some great Christian leaders from around the world, literally, that are joining us online for this. But we're learning together. We're trying to grow together. How do we get better at these core things? What are the core things? And so I'm each one of these, this is a rare thing here at Morrison Hill, but we're following an outline they gave us called the seven marks of transformative communities. And I want to read one more time uh, another paragraph that this is this. This is on your sermon outline. If you've got that or if you're joining online, you, you also have uh, that digitally. But I want to use their words and then we're going to just unpack it together straight out of the scripture and how God is leading us as a church to do this. Transformative churches understand and clarify the nature of the adaptive challenges we all now face, especially in light of the COVID-19 crisis. This adaptation involves defining threats, seeing opportunities, embracing paradigm changes, and preparing for the ever-increasing seasons of transition. In moments of transition, one of the hardest things to remember is that our identity in Christ does not change. So many times in moments of crisis, in moments of transition, we're drawn into the battle and what we're really tempted to do, just like everybody else, is just take sides on that issue. And when that happens, we're willing to fight people that we love, people that we used to trust over how they see that issue. And when that happens, we miss the entire point of what we're really about. Has anybody ever heard of Chris Stapleton? Really talented singer-songwriter. If you don't like country music, that's okay, but you got to respect the guy's talent. He recently came out with a song called Watch You Burn. It's a perfect example of this. I'm not dissing him, but it's a song about how wrong it is to shoot a bunch of people. It's a song about the guy who shot up a bunch of people at a country concert in Las Vegas. Would everybody agree that is wrong? Amen. That's very wrong. Would everybody agree that's something that we should, as the people of God, we should condemn, right? That's wrong. That's not okay. Okay, we're all in agreement. But here, here's what the lyric says. Son, you're gonna get your turn. Devil gonna watch you burn. See how easy it is to derail from righteous anger into sinful anger? He starts cussing the guy out in the second verse. And not only that, that's pretty bad theology. The Bible tells us that hell is created for the devil. He's not going to sit there and poke the extra bad people and watch them burn. It's for him to suffer. The only people that go to hell are the people that choose to rebel against God the exact same way the devil has they think they're wiser than he is. And so they're going to get the exact same punishment that he gets. The devil's not going to watch those people burn. Again, I'm not judging Chris. I'm just saying this is how easy it is for all of us to get caught up in the moment and start hating people and start riling against people and taking sides and making the whole thing about that issue of the moment. And it's absolutely always got to be about what Jesus really called us to do. The most important for, thing for us to remember is this. We all fight spiritual battles. You, you, you've got real 
tangible battles too. If you're sick, if you just lost somebody, if you're worried about something, I, I don't know what else you do. You're fighting some sort of addiction. I don't know what your struggle is with today. But the most important part of that struggle is that it's a spiritual struggle. The devil is trying to take you out of the game. And he doesn't care. He doesn't care at all how he derails you. He just wants to make sure he does. He doesn't care at all why you and I make Jesus look bad at any given moment. He just wants to make sure we do. He doesn't care which sins we're okay with endorsing and being okay with us keep doing. He doesn't care which sins that we say, this is just me. You're just going to have to get used to it. This is how I am. This might even be how God made me. He doesn't care which sins those are. All he wants us to do is embrace those sins as our identity instead of who God is recreating us all to be as our identity. He doesn't care how. But what he really wants in every single one of these situations, whether he's riling us up against something that's truly evil or against something that's good, whether he's derailing us physically, emotionally, or just purely spiritually, if that's possible, his goal is always to fight us spiritually. And whatever we are struggling against is always primarily a spiritual battle. Is this connecting? Do you get how this works? And when we remember that, we start, it starts to make sense that there aren't any sins that are okay. We remember together that just like we did with the Hammer Down series just a few weeks ago, we've got to make a landmark decision in each one of our lives that God makes the rules, not us. And as Christians, we've got to remember that not obeying is just as bad as disobeying. That all the things that God forbids are sin, whether we get it or understand it or even agree with him or not. And all the things that God says we must do are essential. We've got to do those things. That We don't have time. We don't have enough time at all to waste not doing them. See, this was the Pharisees' problem. And if you, as we, you well know, if you've heard any Bible stories about Jesus ever, you know his biggest enemies were these supposedly religious leaders. And they were experts on the Old Testament. They were experts on unpacking these laws. But they had created this hierarchy of sins. They had created this whole thing where they were legally, technically perfect. And they were completely missing the point. Not only missing the point, they could look the Lord of heaven in the eye and say that it was the devil giving him his power. They saw the Messiah that they were telling everybody to expect and they were the ones who killed him. And this is what happens when we allow ourselves to get derailed, even for a good cause, even for something that Jesus might actually care about. And I believe this has to be at least one of the things that Jesus meant when he said this. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
We all struggle with this. The, the first disciples, the first followers of Jesus struggled with this. We see this in Matthew 16. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. The irony of that just kind of sit for a second. And that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Is it ever a good idea to rebuke Jesus? No. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. But to be fair to Peter, isn't it, wouldn't it always be a good idea to stand up for Jesus? Yes. Isn't it always a good idea if somebody's attacking our Jesus, shouldn't we stand up against that? But watch what Jesus says in this moment when he's got a completely different agenda that Peter doesn't understand. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. He goes on. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Let's pause again. Leave that up there. Just pause for a second again. In the scripture, the concept of soul is one of so many that we tend to just separate from. Uh, there's, there's earthly things and there's eternal things. There's here and now things and there's forever things. And there's going to heaven and then there's whatever else we do here. To God, it's all connected. And your soul is who you are. It's every part of you. Scripturally speaking, that concept of soul is who God made you to be, who he's remaking you to be. It's the only part of you that's going to outlast this world and live forever. But that's not all your soul is. Your soul is not just a ghost of you that somehow survives. Your soul is who you are in Christ. What good is it, Jesus says, if someone were to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul, or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. And again, we see that he doesn't separate this out. We all know from Things Jesus said, things all of the other New Testament writers said, we can only be saved through Christ. We can only be saved through faith in him, by the grace that he gives us, by the sacrifice that he made for us, by his victory over sin and death through his death and his burial and his resurrection. Without Jesus, none of us has any hope whatsoever of being good enough to do, to make it into heaven. None of us. We know this, right? This is fundamental. And yet, God never separates it out and says, and therefore, good works don't matter. That's the opposite of what he says. He says, we were created in Christ to do good works. Jesus is telling them, you have to follow me or you're going to lose your soul. And when I come back for you, I'm going to judge you on what you have done. It's always 
put together. It's always interconnected. Because his dream for us is not just to give us a ticket to heaven, but to be game changers in this life here and now. And brothers and sisters, this is what we're exploring. This is what I believe God is telling us as a church we've got to embrace more than ever before. I'm not judging you. I'm not saying you've never embraced this. I'm the only person who gets this. That's not what I'm saying. But this has got to be what drives everything that we do. And when it is, we're actually going to get his will done on this earth. Are you with me? So that leads us to the second big idea. There's only two today. I know that preachers are supposed to always have three points, but just got two. Here we go. Read it out loud with me. The worst threats create the best opportunities. One more time. The worst threats create the best opportunity. We still have in this room today a few members at least of what's known as the greatest generation, the people who rose up in World War II and saved America and the free world as we know it. Um, if, if, if there's nobody happens to be in this room right this second, I know that their children, their grandchildren, and all of us that are here owe them so very much. World War II was terrible. World War II was not a cool situation. Nobody was having fun. Not here, not overseas, not anywhere. This was a nightmare. And yet we look back with national pride and we look back with true respect for people who are willing to give their lives to save others. The worst threats are almost always the greatest opportunities. But for some reason, that's where we are usually most vulnerable to the devil just derailing us. And again, the devil, listen to me, the devil doesn't care what makes you panic. He doesn't care what makes you give up. He doesn't care what makes you just lose your faith and move on without God and without hope in this world. He doesn't care who you choose as your enemy of the day and who your life is going to be defined by fighting. All he cares is that you choose hate instead of love. That you choose any other cause, good or bad, besides the cause of Jesus Christ on this planet. And that's why these huge threats come at you. But man, when we see through those lies, when we can see it, when we really get it, we realize that the biggest threats are always spiritual. Remember that? We just covered that. The biggest, the worst part of them is always the spiritual dangers in them, but they're also the greatest opportunities. Everybody take a big deep breath. It's, this is a deep one. This is heavy. Ready? Everybody remember the song Zacchaeus from back when you were kids? Okay, it was always this happy little Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And we always did this motion right here. You remember that? That really threw me as a kid. I was like, what is he, an action figure? Is he a fairy? Like, who is this Zacchaeus? He's, how, how wee was the guy? That's crazy. But he wasn't cute to the people around him. If the people who knew Zacchaeus as the chief tax collector of that era, if they were singing about Zacchaeus, it was more like, we don't talk about Zacchaeus. No, no. You know what I'm talking about? But let me tell you all the bad stuff he does. That's the way they would have sung if they sang at all. They didn't think he was cute and small. They did, it wasn't a kid's song. They were scared of this guy. He was terrible. 
And yet watch how Jesus interacts with him. I know you've heard this story, but just, just picture this again. Here is probably one of the worst enemies. The last person anybody would expect Jesus to be kind to. Watch what happens. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree, sycamore fig tree, to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Just need to pause for a second. Two things I'd like to point out. I always wondered how you could get up in a fig tree. Have you ever seen a fig tree? They're not very big, the ones that I've seen. But these things were 20 meters tall. Sycamore figs are massive Egyptian fig trees. Excuse me. So even though he was a small guy, that made a lot more sense. Okay? Because I'm thinking, okay, only an action figure could get up in most of the fig trees that I've seen. The second thing is this. Anytime you see throughout the scriptures, whenever it mentions what somebody looks like or how tall they were, how small they were, or whatever else, it's only because it's important to the story. God absolutely just loves everybody. We don't even know what Jesus looks like. The only thing that we don't know, the only thing it tells us about Jesus, about how he looks like, is that his, how he looked didn't have anything to do with what drew people to him. Amen. That's the only thing we know about him. Okay? And that's how it always is. Whenever you see a story and it says that so-and-so was really tall or really handsome or some woman was really beautiful or whatever else, it's only because it's important to the story. Jesus didn't care anything about that. It's just that's why he had to climb a tree. Are you with me? Let's move on. Then Jesus reached that spot. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. How much did Jesus care about what they were muttering? Not at all. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, watch what Jesus says here, okay? This is before the church was formed. This is before Jesus died on the cross and came back to life and instituted baptism that pictures all of that. This is before any of the things that is how we're saved right now. But listen to what he says. Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost Son of Abraham means somebody who follows God by faith and is willing to leave anything and go anywhere to obey him just by faith. And when Jesus says salvation has come, he's talking about this guy has had an experience that's changing everything for him. And on the other side of this, look, even today, he's already starting to live a righteous life. You see how this is all throughout the scripture? We just have to watch for it. It's so clear. Well, let's, in these last couple moments together, I would love to, this morning, just kind of do a quick walk back and a quick look forward. We're going to keep unpacking a lot of these ideas in the next several weeks. But we're going to look at how are we trying to adapt? How have we been adapting? How are we, how do we need to more than ever? In 2020, there was some big stuff went down, right? There's a lot of real sickness 
A lot of real violence. A lot of things got the spotlight put on them that should have had the spotlight on them a long time before that. You know whose fault it was that it was that we weren't talking about racism or some of those things before that? It was the church. We're supposed to be the force of love and unity in this world. We're supposed to be the people that are driving the train about unity and combining God's people. Sadly, the truth is, what Martin Luther King said many years ago is still true. The most segregated spot in America today is still churches on Sunday morning. We have got to do something about that. The reason that that got highlighted in 2020 is a couple reasons. One, it just needed to be. Some terrible things happened. And it got spot, the spotlight put on that issue all of a sudden. But the other reason was this was a spiritual issue. This was a time of great division. How we all thought we should handle the sickness. How we all thought we should handle racism. How well we should handle all the other things that were going down that year. The big problem was the division. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying those weren't issues. I'm saying the big thing was in the middle of all that, the devil was trying to tear us all apart. And that's why I'm so proud of our church. Because I don't think we did everything right. I don't, think, I don't think any of us could know even what everything right means, honestly. But here's what we did. We chose love. Instead of choosing a side or choosing our best friends or choosing the people that we just wanted to know that we were on their side about any of these issues, we chose love and grace. We went online for the people that couldn't join us in person. We, we encouraged and embraced people to wear masks and we put hand sanitizer and we did anything else we could do, but we didn't require it. We didn't ban the people who thought it was all a hoax. We embraced them as well and we let them come without making them wear masks. We embraced love. I'm sure a bunch of you probably disagree with something that I just said right there still, but look at you, you're still here this morning. Do you see what I'm saying? We chose love. I'm so proud of you. And in the midst, we, we tried to reach out to the people that we thought might be hurting. One of them is my good friend Jeff right there. And he's here today. Because we thought, hey, you know what? This might be really hard on him. I wonder, I wonder if we should call him. And brothers and sisters, that's the real cure to racism. That's the real cure to any of this is if God's people just reach out. We don't need a big convention or a big anything else, a big political party or anything. We just need to love but we need to get aggressive about it. We need to get intentional about it. And that's where we're heading in these last couple of moments. Please listen, this is so important. Again, we'll unpack these. I would love your input as the weeks go by. I would love to hear you having input as how this could happen. But we need to make sure that our paradigm is different. Paradigm is your perspective on life. It's your perspective on how everything looks. And we're not competing with the rest of the world. If we're playing a game at all, it's something like Red Rover. Anybody remember Red Rover? And the point of Red Rover is not to beat the other team. It's to get everybody on your team. That's when you win. And we're constantly aggressively saying, hey, send that person on over. And when they come, we try to catch them. I know some of you are going, Red Rover is violent and terrible and don't talk about Red Rover. <laughs> but do you understand what I'm trying to tell you, though? It's about, we want everybody on our team, and we have to reach out to get them on the team. We've got to be proactive instead of reactive. 
We cannot just live our lives as the people of God, just getting tossed around by whatever is the big issue of the day. We've got to stay on track and we've got to figure out how to keep the mission going. If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about months now, I guess, but we talked about the three circle diagram where church is what happens in the middle of God and you and others. It's not just God, and it's not just you, and it's not just others, and it's not just you reaching out to others, and it's not just God reaching out to others, or you reaching out to God or God. It's when all of those things are happening at once, that little triangle in the middle is church. We've got to remember that that is who we are. There's so much goodness in Romans chapter 8. I just want to highlight a couple of verses, and we're going to start wrapping this up. Are you still with me? Please, please hear this at the end. Romans 8, verses 6 and 14 says, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Notice it's which one is control, which voice in our heads is in control determines what's going on. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And that's true. But have you ever wondered why these issues are constantly being attacked inside and outside of churches around the world? Salvation. What does salvation mean? How do you get saved? How do we know if we are or we are not saved? Righteousness. What is righteousness? Is it just being forgiven or is it actually doing good stuff? What is the gospel? What is peace? What is faith? What is the word? Can we trust the word? What is the truth? How do we know what the truth is? Does this sound familiar? Does that sound like, have you ever heard those things attacked, being controversial even within churches, between churches? You know why? Because that's the armor of God. That's the cure. This is the stuff that God gives us to actually make a difference and be game changers in this world. Galatians 5 verses 13 to 25. I wish I had time to read the entire passage. I want to highlight a couple verses here again. And as always, please go home and read the entire thing. Let the Holy Spirit unpack all this one more time. Galatians 5. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. You know the one thing to notice the most whenever you see God's people doing the right thing? Watch for the fruit of the Spirit. People can be right about an issue and not love Jesus at all. People can be wrong about an issue and love Jesus with all their heart. But if you see an entire group of people going in a certain direction together and they are defined by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, it's just oozing out of them. Who's running that show? The Holy Spirit. Because that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We are in a season of transition, whether we like it or not. We've got to evaluate all of the threats and all of the possible ways that we may need to adapt or change or refocus. We've got to do all of that in light of these truths we're celebrating this morning. Galatians 5.25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. 
Galatians 6, verses 7 to 10. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whatever, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And that means people in other churches, people that we don't totally agree with their theology. It absolutely means people who look differently, that most of the people are way darker than most of the people in this room. And they need to repent too. We all do. Are you hearing me on this? The church should be driving the train on this, not the culture. We didn't talk about it a whole lot in 2020 because we didn't want to be on one side or the other. We didn't want to add to the division. We didn't want you to think we were talking about it because of that. But that's always been a big deal to the heart of God. It's a huge thing to my heart. And I believe it needs to be a big thing to our, all of our hearts. And that's just one of them. Here's the last thing that today as we wrap up, there's three questions and they're all on the sermon outline. And I hope that you can ask the Holy Spirit and find some real answers for you this morning and then beyond this. Number one, what is threatening your faith right now? I guarantee you something is. There's something, somehow, some struggle you're going through right now that's trying to derail you completely. And you know why? Because the devil wants to derail you. It's not because that one thing is so bad or that God stopped calling on you, caring about you. It's because he wants to derail you. You need to know what that is. The second thing is this. Where do you see God working right now? There's always some places that we wish he was working that he's not. There's always some places that he's working and it doesn't look like he is to us. But where do you see him working right now? If you look around, I guarantee you there's somewhere in your life, in your circle, in this church, in your community, in your home where God is working. Watch for that and follow that and watch what the Holy Spirit unpacks for you. How is he equipped and prepared you? All this, all this stuff we've been talking about today is for all of us, all Christians. But he's also impacted, he's also prepared each one of us for something specific. Brothers and sisters, we've got a chance every week to make a decision in the direction of Jesus. Here's one more of those. I invite you to make it. Stay where you are and make it privately or come forward, make it public. Do what you got to do, but walk in the direction of the Spirit. Walk in the direction of the Spirit.